interesting um, different tunes that you can have to our songs. There's actually a bikey version of that song, which goes to the tune of Bad Moon Rising, which is also good. But there you go. Perfect. Thank you, Peter. Um, so good uh, for Peter to mention that, because uh, um, last week we had the word contextual come up in the sermon from Craig, and I wanted to raise that again today, uh, but we'll get there in a bit. Um, my name's Damo, if you don't know me. Uh, I have been uh, elected to be your interim pastor, so thank you for that honour, and yay, yay, it's good, it is good. Um, as you came in, you may or may not have received one of these. These were left over from two weeks ago when I spoke um, it has verses that will um, go in the hexagons that I'm about to show later on. If you received one, you can um, fill in those hexagons again. If not, uh, don't worry about it. I'm sure you'll play with us as you're able to. Um, I've been reading a lot of books this week. Uh, one of them was this one, Christian Theology, uh, McGrath. Great book. Uh, he shares uh, somewhere towards the back about the... Um, the crises that were happening in about the third century, just after, um, just after uh, Constantine converted to Christianity, and just before that, there was a whole heap of persecutions that were happening in the church. What happens if a pastor baptizes somebody, and then uh, the pastor, under persecution, says, "Hang on a second, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I, I, I'm going to say yes, Caesar is God," and then all the people who were baptized by that pastor. Oh no, what happens to them? Is their baptism legitimate? So on and so forth. Terrible, terrible time in Christian history. In the end, uh, Augustine ended up um, sorting the lot out. But um, great things to know as we think about today because we're actually facing almost the same crisis or it's come up in discussion this week. I heard a story about my wife uh, meeting with somebody and she said, oh, well, what happens if you get vaccinated? Does that then mean that you don't trust in God? And so, oh my goodness. And if you get, anyway, you get the idea, right? I don't want to have to quote third century uh, theologians to us. Um, but what I do want to suggest is that the church is in crisis, just like it was in crisis back in the third century. It's still in crisis today and it will continue to be in crisis. Now, um, I want to read you a quote that I came across this week uh, and it's on the next slide here. So it says this, strictly speaking, one ought to say that the church is always in a state of crisis and that its greatest shortcoming is that it's only occasionally aware of it. This ought to be the cause because of the abiding tension between the church's existential nature and its empirical condition. I'll get into that in a little bit more. Let us also know that to encounter crisis is to encounter the possibility of truly being church. Okay, so the church's existential nature. The church exists as part of that big C church. The church that God was talking about, big C. Which way is C for you guys? Is this C? The big C church. The church that is going to be built on Peter. On that rock, your church will be built. The gates of hell will not prevail against us in the church. Okay, so that's the existential nature. The empirical nature is that it's actually made up of people, mostly broken people who are trying their best to live their life in the reality of the kingdom of God. 
whilst around us more and more of our community are actually checking no on a census to the idea of organised religion. I don't know if you saw before there was a Sydney Morning Herald post, uh, is this the end of organised religion or whatever it was that it said. Um, and so this is a crisis for the church, yeah? Can we, can we nod our heads? Yeah, this is a crisis. This is a big deal, right? And so I want to actually ask the question today. The, the topic of the series that we're going, working through at the moment is, um, church, we need to talk. And so is it okay to actually question this? Are we, are we able to question why? And what is it that we're actually offering people as a Christian community that makes more and more people say, mm, no thanks, I don't want to be a part of that? Last night, Lexi was watching Alice in Wonderland. Uh, she got to the part where Alice... Uh, meets the Cheshire cat and she asks to the cat, she says, excuse me, Mr. Cat, do you know the way to go? And the cat replies, well, that depends on where it is you want to, to be. So the way to go will depend on where you want to end up. We would say that we want people to know God, to share Christ and care for people. This is our this is what we say is our vision for our church, yeah? But it's how we do that, how we go through making these things happen that show whether or not we're being effective at actually combating this crisis that we're facing. And so as I begin this week, I wanted to visit and uh, almost make a part two to my message from a couple of weeks ago entitled, which was entitled, What is the Gospel of Margaret River Baptist Church? And that message is on our website, and I suggest you pop back and look at it as you're able. Um, and as a quick recap of that, I suggested that Jesus' gospel was very different to what we might offer people as a gospel, depending on where it was that we grew up, where it was that we first encountered Jesus, and what the culture was at that time, because culture continually changes. So I want to say thanks again to the theologians, uh, commentators Stassen and Gushy. We saw that these things were actually the seven marks of the kingdom of God, Jesus' gospel that he preached based out of the book of Isaiah. Uh, all that Jesus was announcing about the kingdom of God will bear these seven realities into our world, will bear these realities into our world as we live them out under the king's reign. This is the how. This is the how that we're meant to be bringing through this no God, share Christ, care for people. This is the joy, the justice, the healing, the promise of God's presence with us, the restoration of relationships in our communities, Peace, God brings deliverance and salvation. You'll see these pop up all over today's sermon as I speak about what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And in my opinion, this is how we're going to be able to con um, combat this crisis, following Christ's example. This is Christ's gospel. And so to build upon that and to build upon what Craig shared last week about in being incarnational, being missional, uh, and contextual. I wanted to unpack and I wanted to actually exegete this passage of Mark 1 verse 14, which says basically, the kingdom of God is near, uh, repent and believe. So for all those uh, that need to know where we're going today, we're actually going to be looking at uh, this passage, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Okay, that's where we're heading. That's, that's, the, that's the final end point. Um, before we get there, though, I wanted to add some stories and just um, put my spin on what Craig shared last week about uh, being incarnational and being missionally minded church so that we can be clear on what it is that we're talking about when we say that we're going to go 
uh, you know, that missional drive, that go imperative, active, go be with them and then engage with the people incarnate, in the flesh, incarnationally. Does that make sense? Are we all on board? Sounds good? Keep going, Damo, don't stop. Okay, good. So I loved Craig's sermon last week, bringing out these ideas of incarnational, missional and contextual. Yeah, as we start, I'd love to share with you where my mind goes when I hear these words and what it means for me as I feed, as that feeds into this idea of the kingdom of God drawing near. Okay, so when I think about the word incarnational, I think back to when I was 19 and I was starting my first elements of formal biblical training. I was a part of a more Pentecostally and social justice crowd of people and the idea of incarnational ministry it was huge in that space, in that inner city Melbourne bunch of Christians that I was hanging out with at the time. And the main idea of this ministry that they were a part of was that the leaders of the church team would rent and then live in temporary accommodation where they would welcome in the drug takers and the drug dealers and the homeless people of the streets of inner city Melbourne. Yeah, right? Okay, now that is incarnational, okay? This is the type of place that you don't leave your wallet lying around, you don't want to have nice things for fear of them being stolen uh, for drug money, okay? Those people, those leaders ended up um, starting a ministry called Forge International. I don't know, anybody heard of Forge? Stick up your hand, no? Okay, Um, international ministry these days, they train missionaries to go into uh, the mission field, but also in contextually mission fields. So we're not just talking deepest, darkest Africa and the forest. We're talking about urban uh, mission. Okay, they embodied the idea of incarnational in the sense of the modern Mother Day Teresa. They outworked what the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus about the kingdom drawing near to people would actually look like. Okay, so now am I suggesting today that we should all go hire a house and, and rent it out? To, no, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying is that uh, they innovated and found a way to present the gospel to their community in a perfectly contextual way. And so that's what I think when I think of the word incarnational. Sounds good? Okay, now missional. When I think of the idea of missional church, a sent church, a church that is going and as we are going, we might make disciples. Per Matthew 28, my mind is immediately drawn uh, to two thoughts. One is a contextual situation here in Margaret River and the other is from a textbook. Let's start with the situation here in Mark's. The first one I see when I think of missional thinking and action, it actually needs championing in the lives of people in our church. Um, And I want to tell you a story about how a couple of people in this church shared with me the uniqueness of the social club that they're a part of here in Margs, and that in their attendance there, as they lived out their ordinary passion for community and service, that those around them noticed the respect that they had for each other and for those around them and that that impacted and changed the culture of the social club in such a way that the club began to align itself with the kingdom values that we see up behind us here. Isn't that phenomenal? Yeah. Okay, so the way in which their friends in the club now speak to one another has lifted to be in alignment with God's values of restoring community and restoring relationships. How cool is that? Okay, the second thing that comes to mind in regards to a missional church and what that might look like comes from something that I've read recently from a missionary's textbook, which is called Your Mission Now by Dave Ferguson, where he writes a doctoral thesis about two differing missional teams. He labels one of the teams the blessers, and he labels the other the converters. Now, the blessers uh, went about the work of being missionaries simply by, and I'll quote, blessing whomever came their way, 
in whatever practical way they could. The converter, on the other hand, went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing everybody they encountered, end quote. Okay, they found that, unsurprisingly, the blessers had a far greater social impact, as it happens when you're living out the kingdom of God, but also, here's the rest of the quote, that the blessers had 50 times the amount of conversions than the converters. They were more successful at helping people find their way back to God. The blessers lived out and contextualized the kingdom of God. They had truly brought good news. They had outworked in their community what it meant to be the kingdom of God had drawn near. And so with that as an introduction, um, let's actually unpack this verse. Mark 1, 14. The time has come, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. Repent and believe the good news. Excuse me for a second. Okay, so let's have a look at this word, uh, repent. I like that word first. Okay, uh, in the Greek, the word is metanoia, a literal changing of the, no- the mind. Noia is the word we get nous from, yeah, the thinking. Uh, Jesus starts his ministry with a phrase that says, hey, whatever your thoughts about God and his kingdom were before, now is a chance to change your mind about it. We could do a whole sermon just on repentance um, and repenting. And I was speaking with Craig about it this week and about how the, you work on the changing of the mind. He spoke about how we might allow the furniture in the room of our mind to move about. Um, but we need to keep going. Okay, So just know here is an opportunity to allow a different way of thinking than that of the prevailing culture and context, our individual church culture and context, but also our, our church, our country's culture and context. Okay, let's keep moving. Secondly, the time has come. Meaning what? Meaning that a story of promise and prophecy is reaching its climax here. And Jesus here is referring to the story of Israel or what we call the Old Testament. Let's keep going. Next, the kingdom. The kingdom, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. The word is basileia in the Greek. It's actually an active word, an ongoing word. Uh, It's a bit closer to a verb than a noun. Most scholars would translate it as the reign of God. Many theologians define the kingdom of God or the reign of God as, quote, the range of God's effective will. It's the sphere where God's will is done in Jesus' language on earth as it is in heaven. And so in history, when you read of the reign of Henry VIII or Alexander the Great or Pharaoh, what they mean is not just a people, a place, uh, ancient Greece or Egypt, but what they mean is the order imposed on a people in place by a monarch, whether it's good or whether it's evil, uh, whether it's peace or war, whether it's just or unjust. And the people in that place, they can either joyfully participate in the monarch's rule and reign or they can rebel and resist. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's the range of his effective will. It's this new order, so to speak, that is that people uh, are in a place who are living under the active rule of God, living the way that he intended and designed. Let's look at the last line, has come near. And when we look at it in the Greek, it's engizo. It's very hard to translate into English, but it can be translated as either has arrived or is available. And so Mark's summary here is that Israel's story has reached its long-awaited climax, that all of God's promises and prophecies stretching all the way back to Abraham, I will make a great nation through you, all people will be blessed. And then even back before that to Adam and Eve, that all of these promises and prophecies are coming to pass 
and that God is coming into God's long-awaited reign. So there's a new covenant order in this new covenant. People who were once bound to a written Torah or law will now have God's law written on their hearts. They will have some presence of God in them. Okay? This kingdom's people is not just a Jewish people, but now a Jew and Gentile people who will live in the new world order under the rule of God. A new order of joy, justice, and experience of God's presence, God's healing, where the community is easy to do, where peace and deliverance and salvation are abundant. And this long-awaited moment has arrived in Jesus. And it's available to any and all who repent, take a moment to change their thinking about how religion works, and believe, where people say, actually, yes, this is for me, and I want it. And that repentance is not just for those outside of the church. Remember Craig saying, um, I don't know if he said it last week, or I'll get to it again this week, but he says uh, that repentance is both an event and an ongoing process. And where people say, actually, yes, this is for me. Yes, I want it. You know, that's belief and faith. And faith is a growing process. It starts small like a mustard seed. Yeah. So this is the gospel. That God's effective reign where the fulfillment of all that God has wanted to offer humanity has now been brought within their reach. That all they need to do to engage and experience it is to change their thinking and to choose to be a part of it. So when I asked Craig for a short version of the gospel, he said this. He said, repentance is both an event and a process. That the gospel is that union with God which is freely available through Jesus and how that outworked is depend on the context. The question. As we interact with our community, are we sharing this kingdom? Are we sharing it in ways that are contextual? Now, when I say the word contextual, do you feel that I'm saying let's throw out half the Bible? I want to make sure that I'm understood here in that when I say contextual, I mean this. In ha- if half of Margaret River is down the beach on a Sunday morning, then why are we here? And not there. Or if, if the men in this town work weekends to provide for a tourist influx, how are we ever meant to, uh, ex- how are we ever going to expect them to attend a service here that's on a Sunday morning uh, to live holy and connected lives of the kingdom in this people, in this place? If we think contextual, then we're thinking about the use of media in our service. And I'm so sorry to our kids this morning. I would love to have made you a video. I actually want to say we're going to upgrade our computer so that we can put more videos up on screen without it glitching. Okay? This is what contextual is, yeah? Uh, if we live in a town of Margaret River that is events-based, where every three months there's an event that comes through, then how can we expect people to do something regularly? Because that's not how the town works. Everyone does all this flurry of activity and then they go, ah. Oh. And then they get the next flurry of activity and they go, ah. Oh. And so I just want us to consider what it actually means to be contextual in this town. I'm not saying this is what we need to do. I'm saying it'd be good to have a conversation about it, yeah? Okay, so don't get me wrong. I know exactly why we're in the building at this time, okay? I know that, and I have no intention of changing anything in this place that isn't spirit-led and in full consultation with the members, yeah? Okay, so, but what I'm getting at here is that the kingdom of God is most visible when its people are gathered, living out that effective reign of God. Where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Okay, I'll repeat that. The kingdom of God is most visible when its people are gathered. Okay, living out that effective reign of God. 
that where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Matthew 18, verse 20. And so that's Jesus' modern day equivalent of letting people have the kingdom of draw, God draw near to them. Yeah? The question. Are we sharing with people the way that Jesus did? In being incarnational, are we being sent as Christ was sent? Are we going, and in our life, as we go, are we making disciples? Matthew 28. Are we, sh- are we changing people's ways of thinking about the church positively through missional blessing? Are we living through faith? Have we changed our way of thinking metanoia sufficiently to acknowledge this kingdom that is around us? Because Jesus' primary message was that the kingdom of God has drawn actively near to us in our community. The word kingdom is used 122 times in the four Gospels alone, 90 of which come from Jesus' own mouth, and yet in some traditions in the modern West, the kingdom has almost always placed an unhelpful emphasis on one element or another of these things behind me that would determine... uh, Always placed an unhelpful... Sorry. Uh, that would undermine its effective witness to our community. Have you ever had the kingdom of God represented in ways that cause not unity but division? Have you ever heard these things in your church community? And I'm sure you haven't heard any of these things here, so that's okay. Um, How would Jesus respond if we said these things about his kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is only available to you if you say this sinner's prayer. You can only access the kingdom if you attend church regularly. You're only a part of the real kingdom if you sing this song or if you sing these hymns each week. In the kingdom, a woman's role should be limited. Membership in the kingdom should be limited to those who have been dunked underwater by full immersion. Or my personal favourite, we don't clap during communal worship in this part of the kingdom. What rubbish. Philippians 3 verse 8. All of these things that I did once I now consider rubbish, save that I might know Christ my Lord. People, the kingdom has already been established. We need to let go of the distractions that are hindering us from living lives that connect people to this near and present kingdom. Where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Matthew 18, verse 20. To drive the point home here, if Jesus says the kingdom of God is drawn near, then to carry on and separating out his followers and causing division in the church over theological nuance is to wash the outside of the cup, but to forget to wash the inside of the cup. Matthew 23, 25. Churches arguing over theology that's, uh, that's unknown until we meet Jesus in glory. We'd be doing all the religious things, but we'd be forgetting about the closeness of God and his grace in Christ Jesus. Could this be what is making people disconnect from organized religion? Is this the cause of our crisis, religiosity at the expense of relationship, both inside and outside of the church? You know, if one part of the body is heard or left out, then the whole body hurts. The kingdom is bigger than that, yeah? Time to change gears. I've come across a great representation of biblical theology of the kingdom of God, and it works through everything of what we would call the Old Testament up to Jesus. It was spoken in a podcast that I listened to a couple of months ago, and uh, with your permission, I'd love to re-speak it out to you today to bring more fullness to this idea about uh, the kingdom of God. It's about five minutes long. Um, If you want the hour-long source to this, please come and see me afterwards. I would love to share it with you. Um, And so this is what the pastor says. He says this, 
Let me unpack a very brief biblical theology of the kingdom of God. This is so important that we wrap our head and our heart around Jesus' central message. The idea of the kingdom of God starts on page one of the Bible, where human beings are created in God's image to rule. And if we look at that to rule, it can be translated to the reign or to have dominion over in the old King James. And you know that's royalty language, yeah? That's king and queen language. It's very distant to us here in our representative democracy in Australia. How often does the queen come and, and impose her will on us here in Australia. But yes, the royal language, you know, as a side story in the ancient Near East, the king of Mesopotamia and Egypt and Babylon were all called the image of God. And this was all part of an ancient kind of cosmology and worldview where the king was divine representative and that meant that everybody else uh, was not the image of God. Everybody else was by de facto, other than the king's family, cheap slave labor to do the Pharaoh's bidding. Genesis 1 is one of the most radical, subversive, world-altering documents to ever enter human circulation because it declares that all human beings are made in the image of God. Male, female, every ethnicity, every generation is a divine edict against any form of racism or oppression anywhere. And so humans, these rulers, these kings and queens are put into the Garden of Eden to co-rule with God over the earth to spread the boundaries of Eden out into the edges of the known world. It's the first example of what we would call the kingdom of God. But in this story, the humans are manipulated by the serpent, this ancient Near East personification of demonic evil, to launch a coup against God, and they rebel with the serpent against God's reign. They attempt to seize the kingdom of God for themselves and to rule in God's place. And instead, they, train the, they trade the loving reign of God for the unloving reign of the snake. As a result, they are exiled from the Garden of Eden and they are now oppressed by either their own reign or a demonic reign or a brutal mix of the two. The Old Testament then tells the story about how God is a community of love, how he doesn't follow through on his warning to kill Adam and Eve. Instead, what's the first thing he does? He clothes them, he makes a sacrifice for them and he cares for them. And even as their descendants spread out across the earth and with them violence and injustice, God calls Abraham to be the father of a new people group that he would use to rescue and save humanity from its fractured soul and fragmented society. They become the kingdom of Israel. And instead of a palace, what do they have? They have a temple. Because even though they had kings, they were well aware that God, the creator, was the one true king. And tragically, If you know the story, every Hebrew's attempt to co-rule with God in a life-giving way, to do what Adam and Eve were supposed to do but failed to do in the garden, every single attempt ended in failure. David came the closest, but even he ended in shame. And by the end of the Old Testament, you come to the tragic realization that Israel, who was supposed to save the world herself, needs to be saved. Wherever, whatever has gone wrong in the human condition, it's deeper than we thought. We can't fix it with the right person or political power, the right political system, the right education, a heap of money, new technology, uh, medicine, or our killer app on our phones. We can't self-save. We need to be healed and saved and set free from the outside in. By the end of the Old Testament, Israel is in exile, waiting for the kingdom of God to appear, waiting for God to save them, to rescue them, to bring them back to the land, to bring his presence back to Jerusalem, waiting for God to, using Old Testament language, save Israel from her sins. Then there's a prophecy from Isaiah a few hundred years before Jesus where he uses this word euangelion, the gospel, the good news. 
This is a political world from the ancient day. And his euangelion, his good news, is that there is coming an anointed king who would be God in person, who would literally bring God's presence back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. He would inaugurate the new covenant, the new contract. He would set them free from enslavement. He would open Israel to a new idea of Jew plus Gentile family, a kingdom that is open and available to all, a kingdom of joy, justice, healing, a place to experience God's presence, a place where community is inclusive and relationships are restored across race and socioeconomic means, a kingdom of peace and a kingdom where God makes a way for you, providing deliverance and salvation. Isn't that a great representation of the kingdom? Isn't that so good? I think the pastor has absolutely nailed it. It's a great representation of where we want to be as Big C Church. Yeah, And it's this idea of kingdom of God that I believe is actually worth sludging through this crisis for. It's this idea of kingdom that I believe will unite the churches across Margaret River. You know, it's not um, a defensive mechanism either. If we follow this pattern of kingdom outworked in innovative contextual ways then we'll reap a harvest of being a strong church where people can know of God they can relationally share Christ with ease and they can care with people out of a basis of genuine love for the community that sound good as I close I want to say again that uh, what I said last fortnight I want us to acknowledge our differences in the church you know we come from a range of theologies in this room anywhere from Pentecostal uh, reformed Anglican social justice types. And as we acknowledge that every person's theological beliefs might be different, um, not just within our church, but within all churches in this town, my mind keeps coming uh, back to the passage in Mark 9:38, where he says this. John says this to Jesus. He says, Jesus, Jesus, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. And Jesus says, don't stop him. But no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For anyone who's not against us is actually for us. He's for us. These other churches in town, they're for us. And we should be for the other churches in town. Everyone say, yeah. So can we set aside theological nuance? I'd love not to have to quote third century bishops, uh, Cyprian and Augustine, regarding church splits in future sermons. Uh, as I'm leading this ship over the next three months as Craig goes on his long service leave, can we simply start with where two or more are gathered? There is Jesus also. Can we start with the kingdom of God has drawn near to people? Everyone say yeah. Or if you're old school, say amen. Everyone say amen. Or if you're Southern Baptist, say amen. Whatever it is. Okay, it's good. Okay, so um, I want to hear stories about what's happened when you did something, when you did something that was actually, I'm going to just reveal the kingdom of God to someone. I'm going to bless them just because that's out of my heart for the kingdom of God. I want to do something that's completely weird to bless these people. And I want to hear stories about it. I want to hear its outcome. Do you want to hear some outcomes of stuff like that? I shared recently with, uh, we went to Chamber of Commerce uh, gala night. Uh, I shared with a guy there. He said, what do you do? I said, oh, the church has just hired me to be a pastor. He's like, well, that's weird. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. And it's not. He's like, well, and he shared his story about he, how he was in a, um, in a church previously and it fell apart and he's been distanced from all of those people. And I, I shared 
to him that he can actually connect back in and be part of relationship here if he wants to. And he, by the end of the night, he had a, quite a few beers by that point, being in the Australian context, and that's okay. Dame, I really appreciate what you said to me earlier. It's so nice. And he was, you could see his visibly moved. Now, maybe that was the alcohol, maybe it wasn't. I don't care. What I did was my job. I brought the kingdom of God near to this person and he responded in a heartfelt way. Now, I hope that through that blindness of the alcohol that a little portion of that seed of faith will stick in him and will drive him forward. And one day we might connect with him here Monday. Maybe we won't, but that's okay. Maybe you'll go to one of the other churches. Even better, okay? But, you know, as we head forward, Craig cast a vision for us last week towards an incarnational and a missional church. And I want us to think about what that would mean for us as we continue to spread the gospel to Margaret River and abroad, as we contextualize to a population that is increasingly anti-establishment and as we live out the effective reign of God in our town. I'm at 32 minutes. I've taken up enough of your time. I want to pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, in this space, uh, there may be some people who have never considered what it would look like to live in the kingdom of God as you lay out for us here. And this morning I pray for each person here that you would help us to a metanoia, to a change of our minds, that you would help us to repent, that you would see and, and that we would see what it is that you're wanting us to attend to, whether in personal, uh, whether personally or communally as a church. Lord, as we continue to grow and move as your reflected community in this town, Lord, I pray for this. Lord, help us change our minds. Help us repent. Help us go through that event. Lord, help us continue on and, uh, and change our thinking depending on our context. Lord, I pray that you would give each person in this moment by your spirit one thing that they can change in their life or that they might rearrange in their heart, be able to see you in a new way or to be able to intact, interact and impact our community in positive ways. By your spirit, Jesus. And as I consider each of these different traditions that many of our members have come from, Lord, I want to pray for a unity that extends past socioeconomic lines. Lord, I want to pray for a unity that extends past political and denominational ties. Lord, I want to pray that we would be one and move as one to expand your kingdom's effective reign in our community. Finally, Lord, I want to pray for these words, incarnational and missional. As a church, as a country, we're in a crisis. And as a town that is increasingly disconnected to the idea of religion, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find a way to live kingdom-minded lives that people that make people ask the question, what is this good news? Amen. Amen. Um, so great to be able to pray with you all this morning as an expression of the kingdom of God in having easy access and relationship to God this morning. Um, I'm not going to call the service to a close. I'm going to leave that to Peter. But before that happens, I wanted to express my gratefulness for the many connect groups uh, that we have uh, running around the church. And these groups, I'm sure, are what are keeping the church uplifted with prayer and support uh, for our ongoing vision. And so as an interim pastor, I'd love to get to each one of them over the next three months. And I wanted to highlight the need for prayer as we keep moving forward and to suggest that even if you weren't able to join in with a specific study session, um, as I attended, uh, I went across to uh, Will's group on Tuesday night. I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday. 
um, Wednesday, uh, it was really good just to be able to pray with other people and to acknowledge God in that space. And it was powerful, yeah, yeah. manly, prayer, good, yeah. Okay, so you get it, right? Okay, so even if you're not able to join in a session, it'd be great for the leaders to say, hey, by this point in time, we're actually opening up this space to be able to pray. So if anybody wants, can't make the study but wants to pray, man, I'm all over that. Tell me when you're praying. I'm going to come through, pray with you half an hour and coming home. Yeah, but that sounds great, yeah? Anyway, so it'd be great to see more people engaging in that space. And also before the service on a Sunday morning, we pray. And I'll be in touch with each of the leaders to see how that might look in coming weeks. But yeah, let's look to Jesus together in prayer as we seek to make an impact in our community. Sounds good? Thanks, guys.